0: I, don't know, I really think lineage is is kind of key. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a, it's key to Buddhism. It's how the Dharma exists, right? Mm-hmm. The Dharma the Dharma doesn't exist out there in the ether, you know. In, in our world, the Dharma it comes out of people's mouths. It's, it's the people that carry on the teachings of the Buddha.
1: Welcome to the Meta Hour with Sharon Salzberg where Buddhist wisdom meets everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Be Here Now Network and features interviews with the top leaders, teachers, and thinkers of the mindfulness movement and beyond. For more information, visit beherenownetwork.com backslash Sharon.
2: Hi, I'm Sharon Salzberg. And today I'm speaking with scholar, researcher, and author Alexander Gardner. Alex is director and chief editor of the Treasury of Lives, a biographical encyclopedia of Tibet, Inner Asia, and the Himalaya. Alex completed his PhD in Buddhist studies at the University of Michigan in 2007. His research focuses on the collaborative activities of three great 19th century Tibetan Buddhist masters. In 2019, he released the book, The Life of Jamgon Kung the Great from Shambhala. Alex now lives in the Upper Delaware River Valley of New York State with his husband, two kids, and their sheep and chickens. Welcome to the podcast. It's so wonderful to be speaking with you.
0: Yeah, same here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. This is a real treat.
2: Now I'm curious about your your children and the chi- the chicken and the sheep. I, you know, very famously grew up in New York City, and I thought, right, you know, steak was like from the supermarket, and so. <laughs> There's a different sense of interconnection, I imagine.
0: It's so wonderful to live with animals. I mean, every spring, you know, you see all the birds being hatched and you see, uh, you know, the birds come back from the south and then uh, um, just everything growing and, and the seasons, you know, are so present. Um, so it's it's wonderful, and I'm I'm sort of giving my kids the childhood I wished that I had. I grew up uh-huh. oh, in Vermont, nice. but n- not on a farm, right? But right. I always I always dreamed of living on a farm. So so it's great.
2: So they think of the sheep and the chickens not as dinner, I imagine. As no, as, yeah, um, friends. Yeah, in fact,
0: my son. I, I always tried to get my kids to be vegetarian, and they they resisted, but. Uh, um, but my son stopped eating chicken the moment uh, the moment he met our chickens. He just decided <laughs> he couldn't do it yeah. anymore. So you yeah. know he, he knows he knows what food is, and so it's a conscious choice now. When when they do eat meat, they know what they're
2: uh-huh. eating. So uh-huh. That's important. Oh, yeah. So I'm so curious how you grew up in the states, you were born and raised in Vermont. How you became drawn to the historical figures from Eastern philosophy and right. Buddhist studies. Right. Well, I. I um,
0: I always think back to my dad. My dad was sort of a seeker. Um, he was a big fan of Ram Dass. You know, he had mm-hmm. Ram Dass books on his shelf uh, when I was a kid. And he was always looking for the truth, you know, with the capital T. And um, so when I was 17, he took me and we did a course in transcendental meditation in mm-hmm, Burlington. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't do that anymore. But it really gave me a foundation of a daily practice, right? So that, uh, that stuck with me. And, um, you know, I think at 17 I, I'm very impressionable, right? So I learned the value of that young. Uh, so I never had to be convinced of it. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and then when I went to college, I, I, I fell in with this crowd of people who were, were Buddhists and, and had connections with IMS actually. And, <laughs> um, so, so I learned Buddhist meditation and, uh, um, yeah, and then uh, and then we did that amazing retreat um, yeah. After I graduated college, I was you know for two months we sat in, in the in the Zen monastery in the Catskills, right, with the, these two amazing Tibetan teachers and, and Surya yeah, Das. you would have
2: guessed? Yeah, yeah, it was extraordinary. Yeah,
0: um, it, it was. I mean, for me, for a young person to to sit beside you and and uh, and Joseph and and these other te- and Ram Das even came. yeah, Pleased to be able to tell my father that. Um, yeah, yeah. And Surya Das would tell all of these stories, you know, of the great masters who, who transmitted the teachings, and I just, uh, I just, they really resonated with me. Their their lives and their, you know, their activities, and I really felt devotion to them. They they didn't, I don't know. I guess through through those really charming stories, they didn't feel so far away, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to know more. So.
2: so great. I mean, it was such a magical time because looking back is like how did we pull that off? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, That's unbelievable. You know? like, yeah. On yeah. every level. I mean, Syria, of course, was the connection to Nyesha Ken Rubaché, who was a great, great, great teacher. Yeah, And really like the teacher of my heart in so many ways. And yeah. um, Figuring out how to get him for a while. And then Rubaché was his first trip to North America. He came from right. Argentina and he's right. He's very fond of telling the story of you how know? You know, in Argentina, they met him in the airport, looked like a band. You know, with like flowers and kissing him, and you know, and then he got to America, and it was like everyone was just so grim and you know, like <laughs> quiet, and um, you know, Great. and that we had him for two months. You know, it was like it's amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, I mean, and I, you know, I mean, I was
0: twenty-one years old. Yeah. I had no yeah. idea that this was you know, I just thought, okay, this is the way retreats are. These incredible mm-hmm. practitioners and teachers right. are all going to be surrounding me and I'm going to be able to, you know, absorb it all. I can, mm-hmm. It really felt like I, I I connected with the most amazing Sangha that, that was possible.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I really treasure it, you know, because of course, I was also, of course, very young. I was 18 when I started meditating in India. I was uh, 21 when I began teaching. I was 23 when I began oh. IMS and, was way too young, really. <laughs> um, but, you know, our time is different from that time. And mm. um that retreat we had was all the more exceptional because we live in a time where not quite then, it was it was too long ago, but not too soon thereafter, not too you know longer thereafter. Uh it was all apps and, you know right, right. It, the mindfulness industry. And, right, right. And the yeah. question of lineage was was very and not even secondary in people's minds often you know it's like unthought of right so i'm curious about how you view the concept of lineage given all your experience and work in this field well i i i
0: don't know i really think lineage is is kind of key i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's key to buddhism it's 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 how the dharma exists right Mm -hmm. the dharma the dharma doesn't exist out there in the ether you know Mm -hmm. like i mean there's you know there's great stories and of the pure lands where the the wind blows and then the 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 leaves rustle and it's the sound of the dharma teachings right but uh, Mm -hmm. you know in in our world the dharma it comes out of people's mouths right You, you need you need people and uh and so you know it's the people that carry on um the teachings of the buddha it's the people mm-hmm. who receive it and then they they practice it and they and then they pass it on forward it's like a it's like a generational thing um, mm-hmm. and it's it's also a i mean in a way it's a it's a certificate of authenticity right i mean you 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 don't having being in a lineage doesn't make you a great teacher but it's sort of like a i don't know you, you could be a bad teacher but but it's it's needed right mm-hmm. because without mm-hmm. that without the lineage there's no connection to the buddha
3: so yeah yeah
0: Um, I think it's. uh, um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's the sort of the history and the and the sort of the lifeblood, and it's also at the same time it doesn't discount innovation or change. You know, I mean, it changes, and uh, but you need the lineage. You need to know your lineage in order to know that your teacher, um, you know, has that connection, has that authenticity, has that transmission.
2: I've often wondered, you know, because I, I not only started when I was so young, but I started in Bodh Gaya. Wow. Which is, you know, the first place I ever drew a mindful breath, as far as I recollect. And um, Bodh Gaya is the town that is um, grown up around the descendant of the tree.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: They say the, the Buddha was sitting under when he became the Buddha, when he became fully enlightened. And so it's a very, very holy place. It's a very... Um, it's a place that's seen apparently a great deal of growth and change lately. You know, I haven't been there in so many years, but, um, you know, there's a beautiful, beautiful stupa, uh, a temple behind the tree. And, uh, Joseph always said, I think quite aptly, he said, it's so beautiful. It's commensurate with what happened there, (laughs) you know, which is saying a lot.
3: Yeah.
2: And, uh, you know, the, in my day, you know, when I was young, there were there was one Tibetan temple, there was one Chinese temple, um, there was the Burmese temple, which is where we all stayed down the right. road. There was one Thai temple, and there was a Gandhi ashram, and a couple of tailor shops, a few chai shops. And, uh, that was it, you know. That was, the, right. that was the town, and then the tree. Right. And so, you know, massive numbers of local pilgrims pilgrims. Um, you know, not international pilgrims at that time, but, um, some Westerners and, uh, and I often wondered, you know, like, um, if that influenced me as well, that here I am in the place where the Buddha was when he became enlightened and this is what he was looking at, you know, yeah. and this was his Vista. And this is where he sat and ate some milk rice, uh, or cure anyone on their way to an Indian restaurant. Um, <sighs> <laughs> yeah, which is the last thing he ate before his enlightenment. And, uh, and uh, you know, this is where he sat and ate that. And this is where he got up and did walking meditation after his enlightenment. And this is where he, you know, and it was like, he was like a friend, you know, who's there. He was so palpable yeah. in a way. Yeah. I've often wondered about that too, not to mention, you know, the um, incredible blessing of having really fine teachers. Yeah.
0: You know, I, I think you're right. I think there's there's a there's a palpable sense of his presence in Bodh and I mm-hmm. I think you know we bring that. I mean, we bring that with our devotion. We bring mm-hmm. that with our faith, and we we say this is where the Buddha, you know, like you're saying, this is where the Buddha sat. This is where the Buddha walked. This is where the Buddha mm-hmm. awoke. Um, and uh, you know, I think we're we're very physical beings, and and we forget how important place is often. Um, mm-hmm. And Bodh is a really nice reminder of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the way teachers, you know, from all over the world now, you know, go to Bhutan, yeah, or, yeah, you know, give teachings or just sort of rejuvenate, and uh, um, yeah, it's a magical place. But I like you; I haven't been there for probably twenty years. Yeah,
2: so. yeah, 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 it's going to be a while, I'm sure, yeah. if ever again. You know, <laughs> right, like. right.
0: You know, one more thing about lineage that I think is is important that that uh, is that um, I think lineage it sort of helps us remember that that our teachers are 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 a one link in a chain, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and in a way it sort of like, sort of de-centers the teacher. I mean, the teacher obviously is, is vitally important mm-hmm. and we have to remember that, but then, you know, the teacher is the transmitter of the Dharma. Yeah, yeah,
3: right? yeah.
0: The teacher is not the Buddha. Yeah. Um, the teacher is the Buddha's representative in a way, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And So we venerate you know, her as, as the representative, but, but as a human, as a human being, right. As a flawed human being, it's not perfect. And we can acknowledge that if, if, if we remember the lineage, we remember our teacher was a student, our teacher, you know, had teachers Mm -hmm. herself and our teacher, you know, I don't know, it sort of, it sort of deflates the sort of excessive, um, Image of the teacher as, as 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 everything, you know.
2: Yeah, which is vitally important. You yeah, know?
0: yeah, yeah. It's hard. I mean, in, in Tibetan Buddhism, especially, right? You you venerate your teacher as as the Buddha. That's a, that's yeah. an actual practice that you do. Yeah, yeah. That's very important. But you do that when you're in meditation. That you know, you get off of your cushion and you have to remember your teacher is human.
2: Yeah. You know? Be careful. Yeah, <laughs> be very careful.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it's that's it's not a new thing. You know, the t- the texts, as you know, you, you know, they all say, you know, examine your teacher very well. Yeah, 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 you yeah. Remember that your teacher is human, um, and then do this practice. But you are doing the practice. Your teacher is not doing the practice. You know. Yeah. So your well, it's your devotion.
2: <laughs> yeah, like when I wrote faith, you know, which was some years ago, um, from the Theravada point of view, you know, faith as a quality of the mind um is is vitally important, but it's it's got phases and stages and aspects. Yeah. And the first blossoming of faith for many people is what they call bright faith, which is like falling in love. You know, yeah. it's yeah so beautiful. And it's yeah. like um the example that's usually used is like you're in a dark enclosed room, the door shut, and then something happens so that the door swings open and you don't know what's out there, but, you know, it's so much bigger than what's in there, you know? Like, the room is not the world. And and there's a world out there, and so much could happen, and so much possibility, and so much. It could look so different than it looks in that sort of dim little corridor. And, um, and it's this amazing moment, and often essential, you know, and so beautiful, but so intoxicating at, at yeah. the same time. It also so, leaves you so... Vulnerable. First of all, you can be very fickle. It's like you can meet one. Say it comes from meeting a teacher. It doesn't have to come from meeting a teacher, but let's say it does. You know, um, meet one teacher one day, and you think that's it. I'm going to just follow that person. And you meet another teacher another day, and you think forget about that other one. You know, like I'm following this one, and we get confused by charisma. We get confused by lots of other things. And then the the biggest vulnerability is really that we become sometimes. Afraid to question and afraid right. to you know doubt, even though it's so vital to right. everything the Buddha himself talked about, you know right. find out for yourself, put it into practice, right. check Examiner. it out and, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and then you get afraid of making waves, and you don't want to bring up the things that are making you uneasy and
0: and you're afraid you're afraid that your uh, your faith is weak or your yeah. your, your devotion is flawed
2: right. You know, and so kind of winding your way through all that and remembering that it's good to question, it's important to question, and that your faith will only be strengthened by doubt. It won't be weakened by doubt. Right. Um, it, it seems really uh, – it's a tricky path, but it, it's really important that we do that. Otherwise, we're not – we're staying stuck, you know, in some way.
0: Right. I think it's also important to remember. I can't imagine there's a Bodhisattva out there who would be offended by being questioned. You know, right. Right. <laughs> like let's remember who we're talking about. These are these are the representatives of the Buddha. They're not going to they're not yeah. going to be angry if we if we question them. Yeah, that's their job is to to get us to think critically.
2: Yeah, no, that's true. It's true. I've often been in some situation where. Um... I mean, lots of different situations, but you know, either a situation where um, people seem to be saying that they're claiming the Dharma as their own, it's like they almost they alone know what's true, right? At one sort of bad moment, I said to somebody, um, if You've been teaching, and this was, you know, the Western, and like you've been teaching all these years and and you only, are you the only one who knows what's true? Like what's happened to your students? You know, like it's not very impressive, you know, (laughs) (laughs) really.
0: Right. Yeah, again, that's why lineage is important, right? I mean, if any one teacher thinks that he or she is is everything, then they obviously don't know their place in the lineage. They don't have the humility of lineage.
2: We did an interesting thing when we began IMS too. I think it was very um, ahead of its time. It's not exactly the way it's run right now, but uh, we decided on a separation of church and state hmm. so that the teachers would be really almost like a program committee of a board, you know, deciding who teaches here you and know, what gets taught and things that they have spent years and years and years devoting themselves to trying to understand and But like all financial decisions, and sort of you'd say the real power, Mm -hmm. certainly the legal power of the organization is with the board of directors, and and they were different. And uh, we used to call it separation of church and state, which I like quite a lot. Mm -hmm. That's smart. Um, And it became more a unified body. Now it's shifting again because it's a lot of work being on a board of directors, you know. But I I heard, especially you know, in the course, kind of cross cultural world in which you and I have tended to grow up in, you know, um, in terms of dharma. uh, The, um, you know, the great veneration one might hold, one Zen teacher, for example, when it has to do with um, working with a koan or working with your mind or working with your fear, would often translate into, what kind of truck should we buy, Roshi? And the man knew nothing about trucks, but he'd seen a picture in a magazine or something like that. So he'd say, oh, that one, you know, like, so the whole organization was dependent on a field not really well-studied. You know?
3: Right,
2: right. It's very funny. So I'm really curious about Life of Jamgön Kung Chul the Great, uh, which tells the story of an influential Tibetan teacher from the 19th century. Um, what number of Kung was that, and which would have been the one that I met in uh, – Oh, so you would have met him as a child.
0: Yeah, the third. You would have met the third.
2: Okay.
0: He was the one that passed away in the car crash, right? Yeah, when, yeah, when yeah. We were at yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So this was the first control who really um, he was. He was said to be a reincarnation of somebody, but it was really he was a, sort of a self-made individual
3: mm-hmm.
0: in, in that sense. Um, um, yeah. So I. I remember hearing stories again. You know, Surya Das told us stories uh, um, at the retreat, and then and then I traveled in in Asia after I after that retreat and I finished college. I, I traveled a lot in in Asia, and then I, I when I got to grad school, I, I did language study in in, um, in Sichuan Province in China, where where Dege and a lot of of calm is nowadays. Mm-hmm. So, so, and you can't go like you can't go ten miles in that region without. Coming across the impact of of Kongtrul and his two colleagues uh, Jamyang Kinsé Wangpo and Chögyal mm-hmm. I mean they mm-hmm. just went everywhere. They they sanctified the the whole landscape with uh, you know caves and monasteries and stupas and and mountains, and they just mm-hmm. they connected everything with the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. It was. Uh, just really astonishing amount of work and so you know me who grew up in vermont i loved the forest and i loved the, the hills and i and i loved the the, the landscape and calm is so beautiful and i thought if these people were out there you know and they these people really cared about these mountains and they they knew these mountains you know they taught they told their stories and and I just really that really resonated with me so and then control i mean it's just the, the more I studied and the more I, I practiced, uh, the more I realized that, uh, you know, almost any, you know, in Tibetan Buddhism, almost any Nyingma or or, or Kagyu or even so much Sakya sort of teachings flowed through Kongchul. He, you know, he was just instrumental in, in, in gathering up all available teachings, sort of organizing them and then transmitting them. And he, he you know, he did the one vital thing that he did was he published he Mm -hmm. he gathered all these revelations that had been you know floating around in tibet all these incredibly beautiful um teachings that just existed you know in one manuscript and and he he published he he made these huge collections of teachings Mm -hmm. so that we have them and that was you know very you know a vital thing he did um and then again, you know, I mean, I could talk about Kongtrul all day. But another thing that mm-hmm. that I love Kongtrul—he's he's sort of the paragon of of, of Tibetan ecumenicalism, right? He mm-hmm. he just loved everything. He had this insatiable curiosity for the teaching, this great love and appreciation for all the different teachings that that Tibet had had created by that point. And so he just went around and he gathered them, he, he received them, and he practiced them. Um, and he did it in this really beautiful way where he he sort of, he he respected the integrity of each teaching right he didn't he didn't sort of like take the stuff that he liked and merge it all together and make a new thing he mm-hmm. didn't he was very very careful um, about keeping each teaching intact um, so we would come up with these these massive compendiums of teachings and they mm-hmm. would all the right sections. This is the Nyingma section. This is the, the Northern tre- treasure section of the Nyingma. You know, everything was in its place, and uh, and so someone could go to it and 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 and, pf- and practice that. You know, because each teaching was a whole unto itself, right? Um, it was a complete path, and so he wanted to make sure that those paths stayed distinct. Um, and he loved them all equally. Um, mm. And th- I think that's just a very beautiful way of. Mm-hmm. Seeing the world, right? I mean, we're so parochial these days. We're so wrapped up in in what we have. You know, control. It's not that he didn't have his own tradition. I mean, he had his own monasteries, he had his own institution, he had his own practices, but he didn't he he didn't say those were better. Mm-hmm. He said this is what I do. I mean, this is where mm-hmm. I'm standing, you know, and, and I'm gonna stand here and I'm gonna look out at the world and, and appreciate it. Um, and you stand where you're going to stand, you know, and appreciate it. And, and we're going to get along because we're both doing something that's that's worthwhile. We can learn from each other and we mm-hmm. can you know, share ideas. And that's just, you know, what a model of uh, for the world. He
2: would have been a young teenager too, maybe like 12 when I met him or something. Oh, yeah. The a teenager, yeah. you know, yeah, it was a long time ago. And, um, he was impressive even then, you know, of in, in the midst of outstanding other young teachers, you
0: know, right? Yeah, I never met him. I wish I had.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was very beautiful. Um, yeah. Is there a rebirth? Is there a fourth? Is yeah, there
0: a- yeah. He's yeah. He must be in his twenties or thirties. I haven't met him though. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, the Tibetans are very good at finding the reincarnations of their teachers. <laughs>
2: they are. They're very good at that.
0: <laughs> it doesn't always work, but it's uh, <laughs> it definitely produced some remarkable teachers. Yeah.
2: Is there yeah. anything you found out in your research about Jam Kung that surprised you that was
0: Well uh, you know, I mean there's definitely like his remake, you know, his non-sectarianism mm-hmm. is definitely well known and people people talk about it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it's great. But I think the more I sort of learned about him and, and, and sort of got into his head, so to speak, to to the degree that you know, someone like me could mm-hmm. ever do that. Um He's really. It was. It was more than that. It was. Uh, I don't know. I, I, in a way, I sort of. I think of his nonsectarianism as 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 a form of pure vision. You know, mm-hmm. it was. It wasn't just that. You know, the Kagyu and the Nyingma are okay, but it's it's really almost breaking down the us and them and the, you know, mm-hmm. the the duality of all things. Mm-hmm. And sort of and that sort of that unity of two truths. I mean, Kuntro, there he was in the world, very much involved in institution building, and yet mm-hmm. reaching everything with this pure vision in which this is all made up, this is all impermanent, this is mm-hmm. all, you know, a construct of our mind and of our activity, and mm-hmm. really, it's all empty. And and so, you know, I think ultimately, what his Rme, what his non-sectarianism means, is really, is just that it's it's a it's non-duality. It's it's a mm-hmm. It's an awareness in a, in a, of emptiness and, a, and an, an engagement with the world with the view of emptiness. And I think, you know, I really came... I started thinking of control I, In a way, I, I kind of started the book as a response to a lot of depictions of him as this sort of like... I don't know, kind of like airy fairy floating on cloud, you know perfect from birth, uh you know great you know celestial being, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, the way that you know the great masters tend to get depicted sometimes, you know it's just like aloof and uh, um and I thought, no, control was really here he was he was on the ground, he was walking, you know mm-hmm. he, was, he was getting his hands dirty, you know, and I think that's what's most exciting about him is he was there in the world, getting his hands dirty with, with this, with this attitude of, of, of non-duality this, the, uh, mm-hmm. you know. So in a way, like I started, I wanted to write this biography of him, you know, control the person. But by the end of the book, I really said, this is a Buddha. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Which is great. I mean, a Buddha is a person and, and that's, I think we have to remember that.
2: Yeah. Like I was on a panel with Jamgong Kong two once, which is, these things are so mortifying to remember, you know, like why did they put me on a panel? Wow. On them? Wow. But Um, uh, it was, a, God, it was a sick, there was an early, early psychotherapy and Buddhism conference. And, um, I was on this panel with him and Jack Engler, who's a friend, who's a clinical psychologist. And, um, and something came up in the course of the panel with one of the questions where I just said, you know, like, um, have to understand the context in which at least some of the people on this panel are holding you know this teaching I said they have lost everything
3: yeah.
2: material their families in some cases have been killed you know their um, stature the, their sense of security is gone you know like uh, and I, I, there's one story I don't know if you remember that Nisha Khan told in that in that month that he was with us um, where he talked about uh, at some point he too was not born of great lineage and, you know, uh, had a very humble background. His father was a bandit, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, which he would tell these stories, tell (sighs) us these stories about. Um, whatever renown he, he attained was because of his scholarship and his dedication, his own being, you know? And so then he was kind of, um, uh, the toast of the town for whatever, little remote town in Tibet somewhere. And, uh, and then the invasion, the Chinese invasion, came and he had to leave. And and so, you know, the the last iteration of his life in in Tibet was sitting on high thrones and right. being venerated and being respected. And then he said, and then I ended up a beggar on the streets of Calcutta. Right. right. And you know, so my heart was like broken and it was full of sorrow and I was all upset. And then he said, and I was very happy. <laughs> and I thought, what? You know, I'm like, what? That doesn't compute. <laughs> And you know he he said go out and beg for enough uh, pennies to get some chai and whatever I had enough you know like um
0: yeah he wandered all over India
2: yeah wandered all over India yeah, yeah. with and
0: the then, yeah and people didn't realize I think it took time for for even the Tibetans to to realize that oh my goodness this is a yeah. this is a great yeah. practitioner and I was yeah. a very yeah. skilled teacher
2: you know so they're sitting on this panel with drum gun tul in some hotel ballroom you know and. Everyone is talking about the fine po- points of this and that, but you realize there is a context also to the historical reality of um, preservation and what that means, and what it means when everything is in danger and right. texts are destroyed and teachers are imprisoned. And um, I don't know it, just, it came bursting out of me, <laughs> you know, in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And if,
0: if the first punkroll hadn't, you know, published these books hadn't yeah. gathered these teachings, they would they would certainly have been lost a yeah. I mean, hundred years later.
2: Yeah. And it's so much harder to start all over again, you know. You think, yeah. well. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that brings us to Treasury of Lives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How did that happen? How did that come about?
0: So I so I finished grad school in Michigan and I got um I went to work for Gene Smith, who started the Tibetan the, the mm-hmm. Buddhist Resource Center, now the, the Buddhist Digital Resource Center. Um, and he, he was being sponsored by the Rubin family in New York. Uh, mm-hmm. And so from, so from working for Gene, I, I went to work for Don and Shelley, so who, who you know, and mm-hmm. uh, started the, the amazing Rubin Museum of Art in New York. And, you know, they had this amazing collection of Himalayan art. Um and all, all these portraits of lamas, um, And he would, Don would always ask visiting monks, um, you know, who is that guy? Who is, who is this picture? And, you know, they wouldn't always know. And he, he just became convinced that the world needed a website that explained all of these things. Mm-hmm. So, good. Um, so he got Matthew Ricard and Vivian Kurds and, uh, and Mok- Mokotov to start sort of a, they did a prototype of sort of like a what's what and who's who of Tibetan Buddhism. So, so they completed that, and then I came on to, to, to take it over, and, and I decided that we would just sort of pare it down just to biographies. Um, so, um, so that's, uh, you know, when we called it the treasure of lives because, you know, that's, it sounds Tibetan, and it also, you know, it's all about the lives that these people lived. And, uh, um, you know, and I had, I've was fortunate, you know, again, to work with Gene on starting it and Jeff Watt, who runs the... <laughs> The, the Himalayan art resources and, and all the great folks at the Rubin museum. So, um, so yeah, it's been, I think we've, I think we're like 17 years old, old at wow, this point. Yeah. Run for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and the tech, you know, I mean, like I'm a total technophobe. So right. but <laughs> I'm running a, a, an online, you know, Encyclopedia. <laughs> yeah, I'm very, very lucky. I have to say to my colleague at, at the Treasury, Katie Tsuji, is a she's very, very adept at, at tech, and, and is also a Mongolian scholar. So she uh, she adds that dimension. Um, yeah, we've had a great team.
2: That's great. Because you know, you just get the sense there's so much, there's so much um, knowledge and. Uh, it, it is a body of knowledge and and you know on, and and um, even if it 's something you're not personally going to undertake or you feel um is best tucked away somewhere you know right. uh, is it's not something you want destroyed right yeah and i you know i I've, i
0: love stories of people you know i mean from my very young age i've always been fascinated by by biographies you know it's like and in Buddhism and traditionally biographies are very very important because they're the they're sort of the, they're they're both the map and the inspiration right I mean these are the mm-hmm. people who did it right these are the these are the lives of the this is how they did it they went from you know from nothing or you know they went from a normal person mm-hmm. like, like you and me you know always starts like you and me and then they 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 listen to the teachings and they practice the teachings and they they master the teachings and and that's you know, it's, it's always, and you can too, you know, this is, this is something that everybody can do. This is a mm-hmm. team. available. Yeah. And I think that's, that's very inspiring.
2: So, so was that like a leap into technology or it was just, you had to do it.
0: I just had to do it. I mean, I just, but we were lucky. I mean, Don was very, was very generous that we, we were able to hire people to mm-hmm. do it. Um, you know, and, and I think, like I've had offers to like publishers would like to like to come out with uh, um, you know, printed versions of the treasury, you know, and, and that's mm-hmm. a nice idea, but I think you'd lose so much, right? I mean, one of the great things about the internet is, is the connectivity, right? The, the,
3: mm-hmm.
0: the links. So, you know, we can show how in any biography, how this person studied with all of these different people, and then you can click through to their biography and you mm-hmm. can, you can show how these how place was so important, how this monastery or that cave was so important. You can click through to that place and get a description, and then and then find out who else studied there or practiced there. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you really sort of you can go back and forth and and just go onwards and and see all of these these connections. I think it's you know that that's the the glory of the internet. So. It's
2: very interesting because I wonder if. Um the sense of agency, like you get to choose what you're gonna click through to
3: mm.
2: makes some difference because I'm more recently, in a very amused way, you know, it was confronting um guiding meditations on some electronic means, like an app, you know, or a website or something like that. And uh not thinking too explicitly explain that when I become silent, I'm giving meditation instruction and I'm meditating myself. And then when I become silent, I'm meditating myself and that's the cue for you to keep going, you know, right. Right. rather than like people started telling me like, you don't understand. Like people start writing in saying my app is broken. It was just silenced, <laughs> And then they beam me in. This is pre COVID. They, they beam me into some business conference somewhere. I forget why I was even there, but uh, there was some reason I was there. And I said, yes. And, and I saw people were writing in the chat, the live stream is broken. She's just wow. silent, you know. Wow. Thought, oh my God, it's true, you know. Like, yes. and it just never occurred to me to say, this is what science is for. Right. Right. It's yeah. you put it into practice.
0: Yeah, silence on the web means something's broken. Right. Yeah, that's right. It's so funny. So, how do you deal with that on an app? I mean, how does. I've never actually used a meditation app. I mean, I. Like prompts, one thing, like you don't want the person talking the whole way through.
2: No, no. What I do is I, I try to remember to say it somewhere in the because this is a whole big introduction, you know, sit comfortably, you can have your eyes open or closed, whatever. Um, I try to say somewhere in there when I become silent, that's the signal <laughs> for you, yeah, right? To put into practice what I've just suggested, right? right. You know, so then maybe. Even if they largely forget, they'll kind of remember, oh, you're right. I'm supposed to do something then. Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah, technology is it's a, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. It's all it's it's a, it, there's so much opportunity and yet mm-hmm. you know, when it becomes a replacement, you know, the teachings are so valuable when you're when you're sitting with other people. It's so that's so key. Yeah. yeah. But COVID has made that so hard. You know, I mean of course we have to rely on on technology now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I have not, as of yet, in the time we're recording this, you know, uh, really taught in person, you know, so that's interesting. Um, And related to that in a way is another question I wanted to ask you, because I had a book, Real Change, that came out in 2020. It came out in, uh, I think it was September 2020, and it was June, it was supposed to come out in June. Uh, so it was delayed a few months because yeah. of the, the pandemic. and uh, Which gave me the opportunity, as uh, many people listening to this blog know, it gave me the opportunity to go back to the publisher and ask if I might write a new uh, preface to the book. Because the very few people who were already reading the book were reading it, like to excerpt it in something like that. And this friend said to me, um, I really liked what you're writing, but those examples are driving me crazy. And I keep thinking, that's what made you anxious? Well, like, you see what's coming. You know, like, <laughs> and so I went to the publisher quickly, and I said, would it be all right with you if I wrote a new intro? Because I, I just feel the need to put some context around what we're going through. And they said yes. And so the, um, the overriding question for me in order to prepare that intro was, what's still true? Mm. Well, your plans are gone. You know, yeah, I thought it was going to be New York, it was gone. Um, there, were, there was so much that was uncertain or unknown or, or just falling apart. Yeah. And so that became the most profound element, actually, I think, of that exercise is just asking myself, like, what's still true? And that reminds me of the word Dharma uh, and its meaning of that which we rely on. Right. And that which we can count on. And so. Um, your, your book was not that long before then, you know, July, 2019. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering if you went through a process, uh, and if you were asking yourself something like what's still true.
0: (laughs) I I mean, certainly not for the book because the book,
3: Mm -hmm.
0: I I mean, maybe I could say that. I mean, I think about COVID and I, I think I try to think like, what's, what, what are we better off for like what did we learn mm-hmm. like, what is, what are we coming out for where's the silver lining and i'm still mm-hmm. I'm still stuck in oh my goodness we're all so we're all still suffering right and not only that but things got so bad for so many people that just the amount of suffering in the world mm-hmm. was wasn't the existing suffering, the inequalities, the injustices, you know, the racial injustice and the economic inequality. I mean, it just laid bare, but but even got worse.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, then I think, well, but we know that now in a way that we didn't before, right? The Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, it just made us confront, the the COVID m- made us confront the realities of, of, of our healthcare system and of the mm-hmm. inequality. So maybe like, I don't know, like... Like I feel like the world is burning, right? And I, I think of like Greta Thunberg, her mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. statement. You know, you you we need to act like the world is burning because it is. You know, our house is burning because mm-hmm. it is. You know, and it, it makes me think of the Buddha's parable in the Lotus Sutra. You know, where he he tells he there he tells of a father whose whose children are inside of a burning house and they won't come out because he just can't get them to believe that the flames are there. They just very. Mm-hmm of it so he makes up a story of this marvelous chariot that's outside that that will excite them and then get them running outside to see the chariot and there's no chariot he, he mm-hmm. made that up but he got them out of the burning house and i feel like that's where we are we're in this burning mm-hmm. house we need to we need those teachings you know we need those the buddhist teachings to 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 be aware of it to help us know that it's there but not just to know it but be able to to manage that knowledge with compassion, right? And with mindfulness and be able to breathe through it because it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, for me, that's still true. The Buddhist teachings are all the more needed because the, we, the Buddhists taught us how to face suffering, how Mm -hmm. to face crisis and how to do it with compassion, you know, for ourselves and for the people who are suffering with us and even for the people who, you know, we might otherwise hate because of it, you know, the anger Mm -hmm. that swells up in us, you know, in the face of all these injustices, you know? So I, I would say the Dharma is still true for that. You know, thank goodness. Mm
2: -hmm, Really, And I'm wondering also about these beings that you've studied, you know, if there's something that you would draw from that body of knowledge, that expertise, is Dharma in general, or did somebody have some? Like, I, I often talk about, you know, when I talk about my own teachers, like, some of my teachers are very kind of witty, you know, <laughs> and they could say things in one sentence that would just like change your whole perspective. Right. And another teacher, like this woman, Deepamar, who's actually the person who told me to teach, I don't know if I can remember a single thing she ever said to me, <laughs> honestly, you know, it was all her being. Oh. Right and how tremendously loving she was. I mean, I do remember some things like you should teach. <laughs> that was important, <laughs> you know. But uh, or you, you you can do anything you want to do. What you are thinking, you can't do it. It's going to stop you. That was helpful too. Right. But for the most part, you know, day to day, in terms of instruction or right. perspective on life, it was her incredible, loving, compassionate presence that was more important than anything. So they're all kind of different
0: too. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, we've um, we have this uh, this three year grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities mm-hmm. um, that it's just been a, a godsend. I mean, we're a tiny little project, right? And so mm-hmm. um, it's and the work that we're doing for that is is biographies of twentieth century people.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So we're putting up all these biographies of people who you know were born, raised in Tibet, and then went into exile, or mm-hmm. Or who spent twenty years in, in Chinese prison, or you know, people who faced a crisis, like you were saying, like the real, like the collapse and the and the destruction mm-hmm. Tibet experienced in the in the twentieth century was is, is you know one of the great tragedies of human civilization, if you ask me. Um, and they persevered. You know these the, these individuals. They you know maybe they were in Chinese prison for twenty years, and they they survived and and maybe they didn't, maybe they were, they died in the end, but Mm -hmm. but stories of them being kind in prison, Mm -hmm. stories of them meditating and even teaching. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, not everybody can, can do that. Not everybody has the the capacity to do that. That, that, That's what makes these great teachers. Um, Certainly, certainly in the face of crisis, everybody responds differently. And, and, uh, but there's a, there's an inspiration there. I think that that sort of pre- persevering in the face of crisis, mm-hmm. and again by relying on on, on really simple truths of, of kindness and uh, and compassion, and uh, and sort of managing one's anger and channeling mm-hmm. one's anger at, at injustice, you know, so that it doesn't burn you out, but it burns mm-hmm. burns mm-hmm. you into doing, you know, a good deed or uh, mm-hmm. so. Um, yeah, we have we have stories like that that I think are um, are timely, for sure.
2: Yeah. It actually would be, you know, probably a very big help to people right now. Just yeah. sort of those examples of endurance, of hanging in there, of finding, not exactly finding the good in the sense of enjoying, you know, terrible circumstance, but being able to not only live day to day in a better way, but... Engage in seeking change in a better way. Right,
0: right. That resilience is really key. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's very interesting because it's also now, if you're talking about Tibet, we're talking about trauma and it's, you know, most fundamental form of I'm not sure they recognize that or believe it, you know, that, mm-hmm. uh, that it's part of their worldview, um, which itself is interesting. Right. Um, and you've written. Recently, some pieces for Tricycle Magazine, Mother of Tulkus. Oh, yeah. And another entitled Sex and Gender Fluidity in Tibetan Buddhism. Right. right. These both sounds like you're asking some very interesting <laughs> questions about Buddhism. Yeah, the fun stuff, right? I mean, yeah, yeah,
0: we're, yeah really. we're doing this series um, for Tricycle Magazine with uh, with BDRC and, uh, and 84,000 on the sources of Buddhism. So... Uh, so BDRC does talks about books and libraries, and eighty four thousand talks about scriptures and the Dharma, and, and we talk about people and the lives that they lived. Um, so I wrote about uh, this amazing woman, the um, Tukurgen, who is a great teacher in uh, Nepal. His grandmother, um, who stood up to to bullying monks, um, and I told the story about uh, from Jumgung Kung control of a dream that he had in which. Um, he made love to his friend Kense Wangpo, both of them in different bodies in, in, the, in previous lives. Um, so, uh, so the first one, I, I, I was making the point about how strong women exist in Tibet and in Buddhism, um, mm-hmm. which you know you'd think you wouldn't have to make that point now, but you still do. Mm-hmm. So, I've been actually going around lately, um, saying publicly as often as I can that, so on the treasure of lives, we have 1,311 biographies and only 49 of those are of women, which is a terrible, 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 um, you know, shameful thing that that's 3.7%. And it's, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. Mm. um, I mean, Tibetan Buddhism is, you know, it's definitely male dominated. It has been, uh, you know, monasteries were run by men for men and, most of the lineage holders are men but not all of them there's always been amazing uh, female practice centers and amazing um, women teachers so they've just been ignored um Mm -hmm. and historians have been ignoring them they'll they'll, like sort of mention their names you know oh so and so's wife was an amazing practitioner and then go on to something else you know like well Mm -hmm. tell me Mm -hmm. about her right i mean and and western scholars you know you know, we have our own patriarchy. And so we, we also ignored those references, but, um, you know, that's been changing. There's some really amazing scholars now, um, who are paying attention, both Tibetan scholars and, and Western scholars who are, who are starting to really pay attention to these women. Um, so I wanted to tell the story of a, of a great, you know, a great, a, a great woman who stood up to the bullying of monks. And, uh,
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, and then the other one uh, is on, uh, I wanted to talk about gender and it's so, it's so, it's, you know, it's so present right now, like this, this talk of gender fluidity, right? And uh, so these two scholars that I love, Janet Gyatso and, and Jose Cabezon, and
3: you, who you
0: both, you know, them both. And um, they've been doing really terrific scholarship on, on gender and sex in Buddhist literature. Mm-hmm. You know? And then there's the scriptures are full, full of it. I mean, there's so much anxiety about what is a man? You know, because it's a a man, in order to ordain, you have to be a man. You can't be a woman. Well, what's the difference between a man and a woman? And and well, what if, what if they are always, their categories were never firm. There was always a sort of a a third. There was always an sort of excluded middle, you know, sort of both or neither man or woman. And they were so nervous about it because they were so nervous that, uh, you know, a non-man would present as a man and and ordain. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, you know, and it's you're sort of hard pressed in Buddhist literature to find a positive example of this sort of this fluidity. But yeah, I, yeah. Uh, when I was researching Kungtrul's life, he he tells this this dream in which um, he's really distressed um, because his mother had just died, and he's really he's really sad. And he has this dream in which it um, you know it's all these details. So I won't tell the story, but there's this there's this point in which which Kensai Wangpo sort of comes to him. And they spend the night making love, um, and they do it by they sort of shifting identities and shifting genders within the dream. You know, sometimes he's comfortable, sometimes he's not, sometimes he's kiense. And that sort of, that fluidity um, as an expression of love was really appealing to me, right? It was, it's, it's okay, right? It, it, it's, uh, it, it was an actual beautiful it, mm-hmm. Post of uh, the condemnations and the fear and the anxiety of this gender fluidity. Here's an example of gender fluidity in the service of love, and uh, I just love that. Uh, you know, I mean, as a gay person, you know, I want, I want more. You know, I want more um, awareness and more sort of visibility for sort of the the non heterosexual, uh, you know, in the world. You know, and I and I do think that teachers. You know, there's this great, there's this great interview with Alan Ginsberg. I think he did it in like 1973. He was a student of Rinpoche and, and other lamas, but he, he asked Rinpoche, you know, is there any issue with being gay in Rinpoche? He said, why, why, why would there be? He said, there's no issue. I don't care. You know, it's nothing. You know, I think that's, it's so important that we hear from lamas that, uh, you know, sexuality is, 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 is okay.
2: Which is different.
0: Yeah, because you get still, you get, the, the texts are full of, you know, all these very monastic presentations of, of sexuality in which you can't, can't do this and you can't do that. And, you know, they're so heteronormative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you look at the texts, you get, a, you know, it's a real bummer. But, you know, the living teachers who, who are teaching to human beings, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, of course, you know, they're much more responsive to to the needs of people and they mm-hmm. recognize the humanity, right? Mm-hmm. The, the texts don't always recognize humanity, but, but teach a good, mm-hmm, teacher, mm-hmm. good teacher. will.
2: one during something that happened during that long retreat was that a friend of mine, um, one of the very first friends, uh, or acquaintances or anybody I knew that had AIDS mm-hmm. um, died and oh. I got facts about it. That's how long ago it was. And somewhere in the facts, it said, you know, this person died and, that um, he chose the time of his passing or something like that. So it was pretty clear, you know, that he'd somehow taken pills. He'd gotten enough pills that he yeah. could decide to die. In. so I went off with Surya um, to see, you know, and ask for some prayers for him uh, and, you know, said just a little bit and then, and Kepa said, yeah, of course I will pray. And then Surya went into greater detail about the the circumstances of his death and and um asked Kempo what he thought about that. And and Ken Rubache, in a completely typical move for him, you know, but very, very unusual response I've ever heard with that kind of question, said, um, well, as a Buddhist, how could I ever say it's right to take your own life? And as a Buddhist, how could I ever say it's right to suffer endlessly? Right. You know, and I thought, Whoa, look at that. Right which is yeah. a, I think, very much what you're saying. You know, there's a human being there.
0: Right, right. And it's complicated. And, yeah. uh, and the great masters are, are comfortable with that. Yeah. With the, that that's, a, right. you know, the sort of multiple truths at any one moment.
2: Which is, I think, something we all have to, looking back at lineage and looking ahead toward <clears throat> the future, and even looking at now is a living expression for any one of us of the teachings is something we have to remember. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, people are complicated.
2: Yeah.
0: But we're deeply flawed, and we're all doing our best.
2: Yeah. It's very, very true. Is there anything further you want to say about technology, by the way, <laughs> since you're right <laughs> in the midst of it?
0: I don't know. I mean, it, I think it's one of those things, right? I, I wish we didn't have it, and, and thank goodness we do. Mm-hmm. I, I I love unplugging, and yet, you know, here we are doing this this conversation. I'm so grateful to be talking with you. Yeah. you know, you're over in Massachusetts. I'm in upstate New York. You know, um, we have Lily yeah. helping us. I don't even know yeah. where I'm sitting. And you know, thank goodness that <laughs> yeah. you know we can do this. And then and this is going to go out into the into the into the world, you know, actually. Yeah. And that's such a great gift, you know. But thank goodness I can you know I can turn off all my devices and go sit with my sheep. that's so funny I'd
2: hate that it's Lily's in Berkeley (laughs) all right (laughs) okay so I am going to thank you so sincerely for um, coming to speak with us you know my life in New York was a lot of fun when I ran into people like you and Mm -hmm. we could have tea at the River Museum or something like that
0: Sharon, I have to tell the story of how yes. I ran into you at a lunch once. Um, oh, with, yes, that was very funny. <laughs> garrison Institute, I think it was. Yeah, uh, it was. <laughs> garrison. And I sat down and said, oh, Sharon, how about And you looked at me and said, oh. And then you, you you leaned over and you opened this big, huge bag, this, like, carpet bag. And you were running <laughs> through it and you pulled out a clown nose. And you thought, <laughs> like, this is for your daughter. And I, like, it, I don't know what it was that someone had given you a clown nose, but you you saw me and immediately thought of a uh, you remember a daughter and <laughs> yeah. he, I, I just, I, I love that because it, you know, it shows how, I don't know, how kind you are and how aware oh, you, you <laughs> are of of everyone around you. I Thank that.
2: you. Oh. Yes. It's my Mary Poppins bag. It's like <laughs> the bane of my existence is like, <laughs> no wonder I can't stand straight anymore. You know? like, like, <laughs> but it's a different time. It's so odd, you know, yeah. like, our isolation and our, Our minds, you know, Mm -hmm. but here we are. How lucky to have one another. It's true. Right,
0: right. Thank you so much for having me on those. That was just a real joy.
2: Oh, it's great delight. And thank you all for joining us. And to learn more about Alex's work, though not his sheep, you can visit treasuryoflives.org or find his book, The Life of Jungle and Kung the Great, available in hardcover and ebook formats. Thank you for everyone for listening. This has been the Meta Hour podcast for the Be Here Now Network. you be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease.
1: Hey folks, thanks for listening. To learn more about Sharon and her ongoing teaching schedule, as well as online courses and a free guided meditation, check out her website at SharonSalsberg.com.